All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Speakers Speak podcast. My name is Amit, and today we have a special guest named Carrie Barrett. Barrett, right? That's how you say it? Barrett. But very yeah. close. I've been called far worse, so Barrett is fine. Barrett, <laughs> Barrett does sound kind of weird. Uh, Barrett. Barrett. She has been in broadcast, journalism, and media for a very, very long time. So when we think about public speaking, we usually think of one person on the stage and 10,000 people. She's been doing public speaking, but those 10,000 people were behind a screen most of the time, usually instead of being right there in front of the stage. So I think she's going to offer a little bit of unique insight and experience and uh, offer some value to our guests for free who are listening to this podcast, which is pretty dope. So Carrie, can you introduce yourself? What is your relationship to the public speaking industry and what you're currently doing in it right now? Thank you so much for reaching out. My name is Carrie Barrett. I'm the owner and founder of Carrie Barrett Consulting. That's my um, public speaking and media training business that I started in April of 2019. So as of this taping about a year ago, about a year. I, yep, I came into the business, into this business from a 20 year career in broadcast news. So as an Emmy award-winning anchor, a reporter, a producer, most recently I was at NBC in New York City. I left that position two Februarys ago to start my own business using what I know about public speaking on camera. And also in my capacity as an on-air talent, you are required, of course, to host um, and MC events, seminars, uh, ch you know, okay. charity uh, foundations and, and events, et cetera. And so you're speaking not just in front of camera, when I'm actually at work, but also in front of that huge stage or potentially huge uh, audience of, of people who are looking back at you, the right. sea of live faces, or you can automatically tell whether you're doing a good job or whether you suck at big time, which is like <laughs> the worst thing ever. And it's happened to all of us. <laughs> how, how did you get into uh, broadcast journalism? Why did you decide to, to be there? That is a good question, because if you spoke to anybody who knew me as a high schooler or a middle schooler, they would tell you, I have no doubt because I've heard it out of their own mouths, that I was the last person in the world that they would ever expect to go into broadcast journalism. Here's the reason. I freaking hated public speaking. I not I didn't have a, it was not a rational fear. Let right. me be very clear about this. This was a hyperventilating in the back of the room, curled up in a, a puddle perhaps of my own vomit. I And this goes back to like, you know, early, early on in elementary school days. Right. And so this career was obviously not one that anybody, including myself, would have thought was in my future. What I did think I wanted to do was become a veterinarian. So I started to it's very, very <laughs> it's a little different, but yeah. Um, yeah, a little different, a lot of science. Um, and so I started as a pre-veterinary medicine major at Clemson University in South Carolina. I did that for two years and then realized that <laughs> chemistry and I were never going to be friendly. This was not a relationship that was going to last. And so I took a year and a half off and I had no idea what it was that I wanted to do. But my dad was like, you need to get it together and figure out, you know, what, what, what your career is going to be. So I took some time off and a year and a half went by and I still actually was not sure what it was that I wanted to do. So However, this still Clemson, undergrad or did you graduate by now? Th this was undergrad. Okay. Yep. And so I took a year and a half off and I decided uh, my school had started this new communications program. It was very, very broad. It was 
uh, PR and marketing, a little bit of journalism, mostly print, uh, speech pathology, business communication. It was a wide spectrum of, of um, topics that fell underneath this communications kind of umbrella. Right. And so I thought I will surely be able to find something that I can use to make a living with this degree. There's no chemistry involved. And, oh, by the way, maybe I will begin to get a handle on this outrageous fear I have of public speaking. And so I re-enrolled in the communications program. And I, first semester back, I decided to get an internship at a local TV station, WYFF, the NBC affiliate in Greenville, South Carolina. I'll never forget it. It was a fabulous experience. I didn't do it because I thought it was going to go into journalism. I did it because I didn't have to sit in a classroom and it was three credits and it was cool and I'd probably see some neat stuff. Right. And so from the first first day out, I loved it. And I, I remember it in vivid detail, what we covered and how it was covered and what I learned from the reporter and how the, you know, I began to understand how a newsroom work and worked and went behind, you know, what went on behind the scenes. And so when I realized that I loved it so much, I knew that I was going to actually have to figure out how to get over this fear. And it was going to be more than taking a public speaking course right. or, you know, occasionally raising my hand in class i was gonna have to actually do some stuff so the, the love for journalism was so was so intense that you knew that the the medium of communication the fear of it had to get over uh, oh, had to get over in order for you to pursue it yeah well you know what's interesting when you talk about the love of of journalism i should mention that i didn't always articulate it that I had a love of journalism, at least prior to this, but I grew up overseas. I lived in Saudi Arabia for a while. I lived in Britain for a while. We traveled, my family traveled a lot when we were over there. Right. And so from a very young age, we, I moved over to Saudi when I was three, uh, I had a, a, an exposure perhaps to different sorts of cultures and people and, and geography and lifestyles and, you know, food and cuisine right. that, young children, at least from the United States, often don't have. And so I always was interested in people's stories. Right. I just didn't put that together with journalism until I actually enrolled in a journalism program. Does that make sense? And then I realized, oh yeah, I love I love telling people's stories. I love learning about them. I may be super shy, but I still am intrigued by that. So then it was, how do I take this love of telling stories, right, with the great visuals of TV and reconcile it with this horrific fear I have of speaking on, on, you know, face to face with, with almost anybody. Right. So then I decided I would get my master's degree. This is a very long answer to your question. That's I went okay. to the university of Florida. I did two more internships, one at VH1 in New York city. Uh, I don't even know if they're still in existence anymore, not in the same capacity. And then I did another one at um, the ABC uh, affiliate in Tampa. Then I got my first job in Wichita Falls, Texas. And honest to God, that's where the real work began. So now, and, and so once you got onto, I believe you did Fox News and NBC and in the Philadelphia area, when, when you were doing that and you were in the grind every day, uh, waking up, reporting what was happening to the public, was that sort of uh, something that provided you a lot of fulfillment? Was that kind of like a prime moment in your life where you got to wake up every day and speak the world stories to existence? Well, you know, it's interesting. Just, yes, in some cases, 100%. Uh, I would say I was the most challenged ever in the course of my career earlier on, um, certainly in Wichita Falls, Texas, which is a tiny little town in Texas, which is where I got my start. But I, I was learning everything there. 
Um, then I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, which was a huge market jump. And um, now that's not so uncommon. But back when I did it, it, it was actually kind of uncommon to make that big of a jump. And um, I, so I had to test myself in all sorts of new ways. Right. Um, Phoenix, Arizona, for, for people who are not familiar with the news market there, um, it's very much a breaking news market. So I had to get very comfortable with going off script and being able to ad lib breaking news situations and fill time when I didn't have hardly any information or maybe even any visuals. And so I feel like each element of my career, each each stop that I made right after Phoenix was Salt Lake City, then to Philly and then to New York, um, each provided me with a, a new challenge, I guess, you know, and after that challenge was over, hopefully there was another one coming my way. And each, each challenge I had to, I had to meet and I had to make happen. Otherwise I wasn't going to progress. And so for me, it was just, it was doing, it was all about doing. You must just do, do not sit and wait for it to be perfect. Do not try and make sure that you are perfect because if you wait for everything to line up and we all know this is true, except it's hard to actually act on it. Um, you won't, won't ever do anything. So I, as I like to say, I had to get super comfortable with my own self-loathing. And that is the only way that I could that was actually, that, see that, my mug on camera and hear my voice and not just like curl up in a ball and want to die. I mean, that leads to my question. My, my next question was going to be, how did you get over the fear? And it seems like your yeah. answer is you literally just had to do it. And over and over, you got better. Yeah. That's the thing. This is public speaking is one of the things where I think the learning really is in the doing. You know, um, my husband is a pilot, so I liken it to what he does. You give me a book that I'll I can read it from start to finish, and I could probably even tell you pretty accurately what it told me about being a pilot. Don't put me in the cockpit and expect me to just fly after reading a book. Right. It's the same thing as public speaking. You cannot intellectualize your way into being a comfortable public speaker or a, a solid speaker who knows how to deliver a message in a compelling way. It's just something you have to learn. And nobody's perfect. I still make mistakes. But you asked me a question that I didn't answer. And there's one of my mistakes. I rambled. I forgot um, what my question was. <laughs> what did you not answer? <laughs> you asked me a question about how I felt about delivering news. Right. And how did you, every day people were responsible for Carrie Barrett giving them the world stories. How did that feel? Yeah, I, you know what? I loved it. And I don't, I didn't love so much that the news that's tough to listen to. I mean, it's important, but I always felt one of the things that TV struggles with is context. And yeah. so I really, after a while, got tired of the drive-bys and the potholes and the bodega shootings, all of all of which are important stories, especially within their community. But what TV lacks is time and time to give those stories context. And yeah. so I always felt quite frustrated about that. What I really liked to consider myself as, because I love morning TV and despite waking up at 1.30 in the morning, that's where I really enjoyed the format because there is a little more spontaneity. There's a little more, um, there's a little more conversation among a, the people on the desk, but hopefully the person at the desk and the person at home as well. And so what I liked, to, my goal was to try and get everybody out the door or wherever it was that they were going off with a smile. At some right. point during that newscast, it was about really trying to like start their day with a smile. Honestly, that was my, my biggest goal. And there were some big stories that I covered. I went over to Iraq and I was embedded with um, an Air Force squadron for two weeks talking about life on base, not a political war story, but just what is life like for people who are fighting overseas? Those stories were the highlights of my career. But 
you know, if you talk about all the little moments, it was just those little moments when I had the opportunity to connect with either whom was sitting next to me, who at every place I've worked, I've genuinely loved and whomever was on the other side of the camera, because no matter if there were, was a million people watching or a couple thousand in my mind, there was always one person on the other side of the camera. And that is the person to whom I was speaking. And you know, and that's, that's really beautifully said because like communication in general, we know is kind of like the essence and the fabric of human existence. And there's so many parts to our days, especially when we're in the grind of it. I know everything's calmed down because of coronavirus, but when we're in the grind of all of our days, there's little things that we need to get us through the day. Like, so for me, I listen to sports radio in the morning um, and I don't necessarily listen to the news, but I have to hear two people angrily debating about last night's basketball game because it it just, (laughs) it gives me a little bit of just like happiness and it helps me get through the day. And you know, now that they don't do that because there's nothing yeah what do you do it's and it's and it's kind of like it's it's weird for me so it's the same thing for you I, I would suppose um as well for the people who watched you every day which is just that like they woke up and they expected you and your style and your and your ability to say the news and, and your take on on things yeah and it gave them a little bit of fulfillment for their day and i know you're not doing that anymore but it you know you it impacted a lot of people even if you didn't directly see it which is an interesting feeling Well, you know, and it's, it's funny because, and I appreciate you saying that I, I certainly hope that was what what I was able to do. I think any person who's telling stories and telling people's stories feels a great responsibility to tell those stories in a, in a compelling way and in a way that is um, connected and, um, you know, highlights kind of the emotional aspect of our stories. Cause they're really, no matter what it is, whether it's a vote or, um, you know, the, a garbage pickup, their garbage pickup story, or you know, I don't know that there's a tire manufacturer with some defect, and you know, tires are exploding, which was a story years ago. Right. Um, there's always a human element in it. There always is, right? right? And it's finding that connection between me, right, as the person who is delivering the story, and what that human element is, and then and then almost seeing both sides. And what I mean by that is not not connecting with uh, Firestone Tires, who was creating faulty tires. I don't know if you remember that story. It's probably about 15 years ago and they had a a mass defect and they kept exploding and a lot of people died. Um, Not just, so I don't mean finding the connection with Bridgestone Firestone, but I mean, telling that story from a place of authenticity is really kind of, you're almost walking on a tight wire because you want you need to tell the story with emotion from the victims and from the families and from the people who are affected and even just the consumers. And also try and delicately balance telling the story of Firestone and Bridgestone, right? That's who was involved with this particular issue. Do, do they have, is there a legitimate mistake that they made? Is there a cover up? How can I connect with that side of the story as well so that I can tell it authentically? That was, I think that's, one of the trickiest elements of of TV news. So now you're trying to teach other people how to be authentic yeah. with your consulting firm. What was the motivation? Um, I, I mean, and maybe the answer was you just got tired of doing the same thing for a long time, yeah. but what is the motivation to start your own company and reach out to people and actually have that transformational journey with other people? 
Well, it's interesting because I had never, ever expected to start my own business by any stretch. I, I'm not a business person. I've never taken a business class. I've never really done intensive business reporting. But right. when I decided, then there were many reasons. Uh, TV, TV news, it was time for me to go. I had, I had overstayed my welcome, certainly for me. And I think there's probably a pretty good chance as my bosses realized I wasn't super happy there anymore either. Right. And in the course of figuring out what it is that I could do, networking, I met with a woman who's like, you have this skill set that you've curated over like almost two decades of work. You sh shouldn't go back into corporate. You should take what you know and help other people do the same thing. You have this story of being terrified of public speaking and you overcame it. Right. And people most of them anyway, hate public speaking and they hate video too. And now everything's video, whether it's like um, video content marketing or you're putting video out for your business on social or you're, you know, now in the age of Corona, we're all doing video calls. Right. So how do you, are you also your best self on camera? Anything that has to do with video, whether it's a brand story or, um, you know, a video call or I'm putting out a video on LinkedIn. All of those videos carry one, um, one foundational element that makes them good, right? Aside from just being compelling on camera and having a decent delivery, it's being authentic and not feeling like you have to be perfect. Right. We've all seen the, the perfectly polished, um, you know, news anchor, which we don't necessarily feel a connection with, or we feel like somebody has all the right answers all the time and it sounds canned and staged. And I think while there are some best practices that can be applied to both public speaking and speaking on video, really the only thing you need to do is is be yourself. It's It really is that simple. And if you hate yourself, like I did in the beginning, especially getting comfortable with hating yourself on camera and, and seeing, oh, I hate the way I sound and my face looks atrocious and why would anybody listen to me? And what I just had to keep absorbing was nobody's paying as close attention to you as you are, number one. Nobody cares that much about other Nobody cares. Nobody cares they don't, you know? I mean, outside of like some Looney Tunes, nobody really cares. And oh, by the way, your face and your voice, will you hear them on video and you, you know, you see them on camera and to you, you look different than you think you look, or you sound different than you think you sound to everybody else. That's just what you look like. Yeah. And that's just what you sound like. And there is no, none of that disconnect that we have internally. And so I would just have to keep that in mind. The one thing that got tricky with that is that there's a lot of trolls who watch news. And so I not only had to put myself out there um, publicly and personally, because I think being on camera and presentation is very personal regardless, yep. but also I had to learn to pull in what, what those trolls were saying, and there's a lot of them on the internet, mm -hmm. and be confident and comfortable enough in myself to be able to look at them right. and push away the ones that do not resonate or do not hold true and take the other ones, whether they're whether they're meant to be contentious or controversial or whether they're really just legitimate criticism, being able to actually take them in and absorb them and and use that feedback to make myself better. That was the hardest part of all. Yeah, and, and it makes a lot of sense when you're when you're talking about video marketing in particular in 2020, like video is everything. And if, if you're not communicating on video and you want to build a brand or business, it's definitely possible, but video exponentially raises the probability to do that. And with public speaking, when you mentioned with trolls, if you're putting out video 
especially yeah. through social, which if, and if you don't have access to TV, like most people don't, then social is your option. Then you're yeah. putting yourself out there to criticism. And that really is, I think it's more intense public speaking than speaking in front of 10,000 people. It's a different ballpark. But if 10,000 people watch your video and then they comment on it, like those 10,000 people on the stage aren't literally commenting while you're giving your talk. They're just thinking right. about it. Right. So it's yeah. a whole different type of ball game, keeping yourself out there in the public. And um, I want to get back to the business in a second. But for people who are listening to this during the, the COVID time or even if it's after the COVID time and they need to get better at video conferencing, I've seen a lot of people in our space, presentation skills, communication, consulting, they're, they're switching everything to virtual. Right. How can I teach people how to be better at virtual? This is my opportunity. I need to I need to be an authoritative thought leader in this space because it's a new space. Um, I want to hear your take on this, but a lot of people have been like really stressing make sure the lighting is good. Like make sure the lighting is perfect. <laughs> and they did like a 10 minute video on lighting. And I'm like, all right, I get it. I just don't think the lighting is that important. So I'm assuming you have some tips or some, some thoughts in, including authenticity to help people be better on camera. That is more than just the lighting or the angle. Well, I will tell you this. Um, I just did a webinar this morning about best practices for video. And it was it was myself and another woman who does wardrobe, a stylist, and then another woman who does hair and makeup. And so you're right. All of all of those details are minutia individually, but bring them all together and and they can distract from the presentation. The presentation. And right. which is you know, if I'm having a Zoom happy hour with like five of my buds, I don't I don't care as long as you have clothes on and I have clothes on, we're all good, right? right. <laughs> if you don't have pants on, just don't stand up. That's yeah, all yeah. I ask. Yeah. So um or do, and then it can become a real or, fun or you know what? <laughs> and then it's memorable. So yeah. that is if that is your true authentic self, you do you and you feel free to walk up without any pants on. Um, and I may or may not look. So Here's the thing though, when you are on a video call and let's say there's 20 other people and you see a gallery of faces and it depends a little bit on the context. Are you meeting with, is this an internal video call? Are there new clients or potential clients on the other side? All of those things inform your presentation and you have to calibrate a little bit for each individual scenario. But I will tell you this, if I'm going to sit in front of a window, a brightly lit window with my back to it and or, you know, a, a strong lamp and you're not going to see my face because it's shadowed and I'm in silhouette because the light is at my back. Well, I'm I'm just one digitized voice away from the witness protection program. Yeah. The reason I'm doing a video call, right? And the reason we're doing a video podcast here and not just a regular podcast is because we appreciate the connection with somebody else's face. Right. And we appreciate being able to look into their eyes. And really that's what it comes down to. So I do advise people, if you don't, you know, if I, you don't want to look at my face or you do, I don't want to look in your eyes, we should just do a regular phone call or an email. Right. We don't need to do this. And so I always advise people to try and frame their shots the way they would frame, the way they would see a news anchor, a single news anchor at a desk. So think like Lester Holt, right? They're usually pretty tight shots, mid chest, mid torso. There's a reason for that. It's not random. It's because they want the viewer to be able to look into the anchor's eyes. And I realized you're in between cameras and there's a monitor in front of you and there's a couple of different elements of uh, you know barriers and obstacles that you have to get through. But if you can't look at my eyes or I can't look at you at your eyes, there's really no point in doing this. So those elements are important, but in right. terms of right, just the setup, in terms of the actual delivery, 
when you are on camera, your viewers field of vision is just dramatically smaller. So things that you would do in real life at a conference call, you shouldn't necessarily do on a video call. So for example, I did a webinar a couple of weeks back and I, one of the one of the people who was, I'm going to show you, that's why I'm looking down. Yep. One of the people on the panel was constantly on her phone. And so she was like this the whole time. And for a while, I thought her shot must have frozen. And then I thought, oh, crap, she fell asleep. And she was presenting or she was in the audience? or She was, she was one of, there was a, it was a, a bunch of panelists. So she gotcha. was one of the panelists. So everybody could see her. Right. She was looking at her phone is what it was. But while you wouldn't necessarily notice that so much, if you're sitting in a conference room with 10 other people and, you know, all of you are occasionally looking down at your phone, when you're just looking at her on that little monitor and she's like this the whole time, your field of vision has shrunk into the point where you don't know what the hell she's doing and it's distracting. Right. So those little things that might be okay in person quickly wear out their welcome on camera. So you have to be aware of, things that you're doing, whether it's constantly adjusting your hair, or shifting around in your seat, or you're off the camera, or you're down here, whatever it is. The other thing I would say that is really important in video presentation is energy. And the reason that it's tricky is because so many of us are on so many of these video calls that A, it's just easy to become tired and feel like they're all a performance after a while anyway. Yeah. B, we're not in front of somebody. And so even though I can see your face, and you can see mine because I'm not directly in front of you and I'm not directly like, you know, I can't slap you around if you're not paying attention. Um, our energy begins to, it's just, it's natural. It begins right. to decrease. And so I know this from my time on TV, you know, I would think that I would be animated and energetic about a story. And then I go back and look at the air check that the tape of the show and I would see that I actually, I'm kind of tired or sullen or just, I don't know. Authentic, yeah. Right. So you have to be really over the top on camera for it to look over the top to the person watching you. So I would say, sit down, open up a zoom meeting room for yourself, hit record and, and do a one minute, whatever it would be that you would say off the top of a zoom call, whether it's an introduction or a pitch or a combination, and then go back and look at it and see if, you actually look like you have as much energy as you felt like you were projecting because chances are you don't. And that's, it's A, it's hard to keep your energy up. B, it's even harder to keep your audience involved if they can see that your energy is fizzling. So you got to bring it every time you get on one of these calls. Right. No, that, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think so. The, the big two takeaways are you is one, make sure your environment is good. Make sure the lighting, make sure the angles, make sure you're not having shadows, all that stuff, because that's going to affect the content of your message if people just can't see you. And then two, which is like the biggest thing is you've got to be engaged and you got to you got to live up to the moment because because it's a virtual medium. The moment is more exaggerated be, uh, off of little things. So. Yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent. It's it is the camera. The camera mutes everything right. except all the things you don't want it to mute. The things that you want it to mute, it amplifies those. So it right. is it is a it is a cruel mistress. The camera. You got to figure out how to finesse her a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That should be the name of this podcast: finessing the camera. There you go. Um, okay, so my last question to you, and this is because you're a new new entrepreneur and, and, and you're doing your own thing, is 
how are you generating clients and revenue right now? Like, are you putting out content? Are you using your network from 20 years? Yeah, I, I, well, I'm putting out, I'm putting out boatloads of content, right? I'm doing a ton of educational type material. I've done a lot of webinars. I've done a lot of podcasts. I've done a lot of tutorials. I would say, right, the, the public speaking side of my business right now, because of, of COVID, has pretty much dried up. I had a slew of public speaking engagements in the city in March, uh, New York yeah, City you in March. engagements? You mean you are giving, like, speeches or hosting I'm giving stuff? giving the speeches, yep. Okay, and what do you talk about, by the way, real quickly? If we... Yeah, absolutely. So they hired me to be a keynote. They're all gone, meh, because yeah. um, no. all of that's gone. Yeah. And so I have found that luckily people have become increasingly interested in video presentation and video content marketing and video marketing and video content in general. And then additionally, I have a series of online courses that are coming out. They were coming out later rather than sooner. Right. Now they are coming out sooner rather than later. So I've had to pivot on that aspect of business. And I've, I've drawn back on the amount of time I put into my public speaking and have spooled up things on the online courses side. And what were, what were the content of these keynotes? What were you giving keynotes on? So um, the ones in March were all focused around uh, International Women's Day. And so I was doing some on on, it was almost like a media training seminar or workshop talking about best practices for public speaking, getting your message across, overcoming anxiety. And then I also was doing keynotes, uh, motivational keynotes. So taking risk, which has been really the theme of my career, right. being comfortable with taking risk, being comfortable with not being perfect. So now, so now here's my question for someone listening who wants to do that. How, like, I know you're Carrie Barrett. I'm, no, I keep saying it wrong. Bar, That's okay. Bar, right. who, who has a legacy and knows how to Friends speak and stuff. But yeah. how, how did you get those gigs? Like, how did, like, did you email people? Did they come to you? No, they can't. So there's a number of different ways you can, um, yeah. One of the things that I do for my clients actually is I put together sizzle reels. So basically it's like a highlight reel for whatever it is they want to do. I have some clients that are in the financial space. They want to be a contributor on, let's say, CNBC. So we get them camera ready. We put together a sizzle reel and then we start pitching the networks. For people who are public speakers or want to be public speakers, not TV, but on stage, they also need a sizzle reel to be able to pitch themselves right. as somebody who can work the stage, hold the room's attention, are credible um, at you know what they do in the air, their area of expertise. So I put together a two-minute highlight reel for them based on content they have, and then they use that to pitch venues. So there's a couple of online venues. Uh, Gig Salad is one. Gig Masters, which actually just changed their name to the Bash. Um, I have a profile in there that people can hire me with, as well as people can post events. Right now, everything's virtual, but I would suggest get it if you're interested. Those are some really basic ways to start getting your name out there and getting hired for smaller events. People aren't going to pay you 15 grand an event off the top. I mean, I'm not saying they pay me that either, but um, you know they're going to be paying you. They maybe will soon as your business. Or maybe expands. you're doing something. Maybe you're just doing a lot of events for free because you know it, you're going to use that that stage to sell. Yep. And so you're going to be in front of an audience who has a lot of potential clients in front of you. Well, maybe in that case, it's, it's a good, it's a good opportunity for you to forego the fee and just get yourself in front of those clients and begin to hone your public speaking skills. Right. Absolutely. No. Yeah. And it seems like, yeah, I had a bunch of engagements coming up for free, by the way, at, at local colleges. I had like seven of them from March to April oh, and then gosh. like everything got canceled. Sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's tough, huh? It's rough. It happens. Yeah. Um, but okay. get them back. They'll yeah. reschedule. It's just nobody knows when. 
Yeah, I mean, to be the most optimistic I'm being is is start of 2021. I think 2020 is done for, unless in the summer these things clear up. But I, I think that's just too optimistic with everything that's going on. So. Yeah, I do too. I think I think you know uh, maybe essential workers will be allowed to roam a little more freely than the rest of us. Uh, yeah. But for most of us, I think it's we're we're a ways away from that yet. Where are you based know, by the way? I'm based, so I'm in New Jersey, right outside of New York City. Okay, yeah, so I'm in Jersey as well. So both of us are in the hottest state with, with coronavirus, so it, yeah. It's nuts, man. Yeah. I, I just, side note, I have a, a buddy whose wife, uh, he owns a production company I work with him, and his wife works at one of the hospitals in Bergen County, mm. which if you're watching from outside of New Jersey, is one of the counties closest to New York City. Um, and she's losing like 10 to 15 patients, and I, it is just, Bad. it's really... Bad. There's going to yeah. be a lot of stories that need to be told after this is over. Yeah. So Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, that is the Speakers Speak podcast. Thank you, Carrie, for being on. If people want to find you, where can they find you at? So you can, my website is uh, Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y, Barrett, B-A-R-R-E-T-T, consulting, Carrie Barrett. See, I'm not perfect. CarrieBarrettConsulting.com. <laughs> Sometimes I even screw up my own name. You can also email me at Carrie at CarrieBarrettConsulting.com, or you can give me a buzz. My work cell is 973-210-4952. All right. So if Carrie can do 20 years of media journalism <laughs> and still make a mistake in the last five seconds where she has to be perfect because she's selling herself then you can make a mistake as well, as long as you get back up and you take- That's my gift to you. The the gift of, of losing that, that need to be perfect. Trust me, it's a mess behind the scenes. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, thank you for being on. We'll see you next Thanks. week. Thanks. Bye-bye.